good afternoon, Phil. Good afternoon, Dave. Uh, good to see you. How are you doing, Phil? I'm all right. How are you? How are you? I see. I see. You seem to be in a different location than usual. Either that, have you got new wallpaper? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm. Um, I'm. I'm staying loyal to the cause. I'm. I'm vacationing or workationing. I'm not too sure if that's a word. It sounds a bit wanky to me. That. Um, but I'm working whilst in Grand Canaria. School holidays, so Nicky works for schools, so we thought we'd come out here and try and get some sunshine. Very so, yeah, nice. it's a little bit different. But I do like the wallpaper, though. It's a bit retro, a bit 70. Uh, very nice. It's going to be nice, won't it? Whoa, 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 hey, who's this guy? Who's this guy? That's not Dave. Who's that, Andy? Sorry. Are you, are you got a mate with you there in uh, Grand Canaria or what? Well, funnily enough, yeah, that isn't, that isn't Dave. Brought along my mate Steve. He lives around the corner from us, but not around the corner in Grand Canaria. Around the corner in Oldham from us. So Steve, meet Phil. Phil, this is Steve. Hiya, Phil. Nice to meet you. And nice to see you too, Andy. And thank you for inviting me on to have a chat with you today. Nice to meet you, Steve. You're uh, your guest cod, so you can be you can be Dave. It's like it's like we've got I don't know Messi or Ronaldo off the bench, isn't it? And you know, just <laughs> should I should I make an intro to my mate Steve? Should I tell you what? Yeah, this is. I mean, yeah, the, good, this yeah. would probably take an entire podcast to to explain. You know the, the notable things. So. First and foremost, Steve's a friend and neighbour, lives around the corner from us. I think the first time I was speaking to you, you were dressed as Pikachu. Yes, Alexander Park, more than likely. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, who's, who's this guy talking to me? I, I, I was dressed as 118, 118 kind of thing, like doing a charity fun run. And I'm like, Pikachu was talking to me, so how are you doing, Andy? I'm like, I remember it well. Yeah, yeah great, yeah. How, how are you, Pikachu? Pika, Pika. Um, turns out it's Steve Hill. And, and we, we often like mixing very similar kind of circles when it comes to doing charity work. Um Steve's a deputy headmaster at a local school. Um, Steve has um, has three initials after his name. Is it MBE? It's an MBE. It is. It is. Wow. It is. Wow. It, is this our first MBE on the show? It is. It is. Wow. It is indeed. I, I'm honoured. I am honoured. It's not a initials I use often, but as I said, they're there. And, and yeah, you know, a very proud moment to, to have received those. But as I say, it's not something. It doesn't change anything about what we're about. We get on with doing it and... Yeah, it was something. Yeah, very special. That's that's what I love to hear. We'll t- talk more about that in a bit. Um, so uh, labels aside, obviously, I don't like particular light labels, but it's a pretty pretty cool one. Um, this is a pioneering get, um, podcast for us, having a, having with somebody with with those initials after the name. Speaking of pioneering, um, Steve's a, an adventurer. He's done some bonkers challenges. I'm paraphrasing from the book. What's next, sir? Which is, You've got a copy there. I, I have like got it. a copy. I'm, holiday reading. Yeah, it, it's great holiday reading. Yeah, I'm reading about somebody going up a, a very, very, very cold mountain, and I'm very, very warm whilst reading it. So there's a nice contrast to that. Um, and done so many different challenges, it's unbelievable. So anyway, pioneering Steve Hill, um, thank you for not just joining the podcast, but allowing me to be part of your charitable trust. This feels really such an honour. Um, and from speaking with you recently, what I detected was – a significant lack of ego in that conversation. It's not all about Steve Hill, you know, the, you know, the the machine of like raising money and etc. It's just Steve Hill, the, the normal bloke who lives, in, lives around the corner from us. And it, honoured to have you on board, and it's great to have you on board and part of the team. And, and I say we're honoured uh, that you're part of the team, and, and you know, see the great work that the charity does. And as I say, I look forward to working with you in the future. And and as I say, it's it's great. Where the charity's going, the direction it's going in it and what it's achieving, as I say, and it's as always it's a team effort of, of wonderful, like minded people. Yeah, good stuff. And I'll be wearing I'll be wearing the uh, Team Hill Charitable Trust shirt in London. 
Um, it's been for a test drive up and down the canals, did a 20-miler up and down the canals, and I felt just that little bit of extra surge there from Team Hill, those two thumbs up on my chest. Give me a thumbs up. So tell, tell us a little bit more about, in fact, before you tell us about Team Hill, how when somebody asks you to describe yourself, how do you describe yourself? You've got so many labels you could use. What what do you say? Um, I mean, I, I, I'm Steve Hill. I'm, like I said, more born and bred, and, you know, first and foremost, a teacher. You know, day to day, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm in a class with 30 children who... You know, a massive part of my life, and, and and to be their teacher and to be part of their lives is a huge privilege, and 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 it, it's the greatest joy. As I say, I'm a teacher. It wasn't something I planned on doing when I was younger. It was never on the radar. It wasn't. I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be an area pilot, fire you know, firefighter, police officer. You name it, anything you know to do with action. Um, but ended up being a teacher, and best decision I ever made. As I say, I've been teaching now for. 27 years. It's, uh, you know, 19 of those years as a, as a deputy head. Uh, but I'm a full-time teaching deputy. And as I said, it's a great joy. And there's nothing makes me smile more than those children coming in, in the morning with big smiles on their faces. We have the Mr. L high five and the double thumbs up. And it is a joy. And I like to think I'm not lost sight of what's important. It's about giving those children the best year possible. Um, yeah, education side, the academic side is really important. But inspiring them, getting them excited about the learning, getting them excited about their lives, excited about the future, um, and that's what what led me to start taking on the the bonkers challenges. I think you're right in using that word. It is bonkers, and I I always take it as a bit of a compliment when people you know refer to myself or other people as bonkers. I think it means that you you think a little bit differently and you, you push your boundaries and you come out of that comfort zone and yeah, you get out there and do these ridiculous things. Um, but that's where it started. I just felt as a teacher that. You know, as much as it's important to educate these children and to prepare them for SATs, etc., there was more to life in the classroom. You know, the children needed to be inspired. And rather than being that teacher that just sat behind my desk and spouted out these multiple phrases, um, get out there, do your best, you know, come out of your comfort zone, I thought, well, let's not just preach it, let's practice it, let's get out and show them what's possible. And it led to me, as I say, taking on my own adventures around the world, um, pushing my boundaries, seeing what I was capable of, seeing some remarkable, amazing places within the world, um, raising money for charity, but, you know, most importantly, inspiring these children to show them what was possible. Um, so, you know, my mindset is that showing these children that through self-belief and hard work and determination and never giving up when things get tough, anything in life is possible. And we, we talk regularly about big dreams and it's important that these children have big dreams and they get excited about what they can achieve in life. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that our dreams should be so big, you know, so massive. They excite us so much. They even frighten us because they're so big. And, and I tell the children regularly that nobody has got the right to tell them that the dreams are too big. We've got to believe it ourselves. We've got to believe it and make it happen. And, and that's my massive mission in life, as I said, to, to inspire these children and, and to see them excited about search challenges because I fully involve them in all my challenges that go on. You know, they, they, they're my, if you like, my cheer squad, my support crew, they keep me accountable. I've been out training in the evenings, you know, in the mornings. It's like, did you go out last night, sir, training? I did. I do it not because I know you're going to check, you know, <laughs> check me in the morning. Um, they're brilliant and it really excites them, you know, and the, the more bonkers the challenge, the more excited they get. And I involve them in my training, I involve them in the equipment that I take and the food that I'm going to take. And we study the part of the world I'll be going to. But equally so, as I said, they inspire me, they, they motivate me, they write little letters for me to take and open each evening on my challenges. And, you know, there's nothing more excites me more than coming back and, and sharing that adventure with the children. And that's been going on now for, what, 13, 14 years. Um, back in 2009, I think it was when I started. Wow. My first big, big challenge, as it were. So, yeah, long may it continue. As I say, it, it, it's about, as I say, inspiring these children to, to get there and 
have their own adventures and follow their own big dreams. And, you know, the majority of these children I have the great privilege of teaching are all also part of Team Mill Charitable Trust. And then it's great to see them coming along with the parents of the events and wearing the Team Mill hoodies with pride. And as I said, nothing gives me greater pride than seeing these children. Also seeing that, you know, by coming together, you know, through the charity, we can all make a difference in the world. And as I said, I think that's an important message and lesson to give to the children as well, that, you know, they can make a difference in the world, yeah. um, you know, individually as a team. So they're doing that, as I say. So long may continue. Uh, Phil, Philip at the back. Yes, yes, <laughs> Mr. Hill. Uh, no, I'm just interested, um, like, what was the so what was the first challenge and what inspired you to do whatever that was? How did, you know, how do you go from sort of, I mean, bloody hell, to be honest, standing in front of a, uh, a a group of 30 kids every day of your life for all that time is enough of an inspiring thing in its own right. And I don't think that gets recognised enough in uh, UK society. So how do you go from doing that selfless task, hard task, to going, right, I'm going to step this other up a bit and I'm going to do something bonkers capital B what and what was it what I'm just really interested to know how that all went it was it was probably a life-changing moment um because I've always been to sports still into sports and, and I do a lot of sports with the children at school it's a real big thing for me after school you know boys football girls football cross country swimming you name it we, we do it I think it's really important to to get the children outside the classroom and get them involved in team sports and just a love of been keeping fit and healthy uh, that will hopefully stay with them for life and and myself I'd always played a lot of rugby I played at Waterhead a local team for, for many many years uh, so as a teacher I brought that into the classroom and, and you know finding my feet as a teacher um, but I just thought over the years uh, I was coming to the end of my, my playing career as it were um, I knew that when I stopped playing rugby I needed to fill that void with something else because like most jobs but teaching can become everything if you don't have those little outside interests um, and the advice was being given by more senior teachers was you stop playing rugby, Steve. Make sure you fill that 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 void with something, mm-hmm. something else outside of teaching. Um, but it goes back to that, you know, being a teacher. I just felt that I was all about the motivation and inspiring these children. But I thought, well, am I really doing this myself? Have I lost sight of my own big dreams that I had when I was younger? You know, excited. I was in the Cubs. I was in the Army Cadets, and and love the outdoors and love you know the usual things of children growing up in more side climbing trees, building dens, mm-hmm. being outside all the time. Um, and I just felt the children had changed a little bit. I was, I was saying these things to them, but I was thinking, I'm a bit of a fraudy. I'm actually doing what I'm preaching to these children. And I thought, well, I'll finish playing rugby. Let's start getting out there and reigniting my own dreams and getting out and pushing my own boundaries and having adventures, but adventures that I could share with the children and use to inspire them. And the first one was back in 2009, and it was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, so I've loved the mountains um, never been anywhere to that height before uh, at this point. Um, but I thought, right, yeah, I know a bit about the mountain. I've never been to Africa before. This sounds like a really exciting adventure, um, obviously in the school holidays. And I hummed about it. I was a, quite apprehensive. I thought, just let's do it. Um, so, yeah, booked it, trained, involved the children. And it was the start of our fundraising. Um, but it was opened up to the children in, in class. So as well as inspiring them to the challenge, I wanted to open the fundraising up to the children as well. And it was a case of the children nominating charities that they wanted to support through the challenge. And, and it brought ownership through to the children. Uh, and what they do, they put a presentation together, they present it to the class, the charity that was close to their heart, and then we vote on the charity that we were going to support that year. As it happened, it was the Christie's in Oldham when they were building the new Christie's centre at the Oldham Hospital. Uh, and Dr. Kershaw's 
Um, and then off I went and listened to my holidays and not knowing what to expect, but the send-off I got from the children was just overwhelming. It was, again, enveloped with open on day one, open on day two, open on day three throughout the challenge. Um, and I knew they were with me in spirit. I had lucky charms with me that they'd given me and, and school ties on my rucksack. And off I went to Africa on this, this the grand adventure. Um, again, knowing what to expect, yeah, but not fully knowing what to expect. And and it was an amazing experience in Africa and trekking to, to base camp of, of Kilimanjaro was was pretty epic. Um, but summit night was was really, really tough. You know, it really pushed me to my limits. High altitude, you know, lungs burning, legs burning, sucking in the air, one foot in front of the other, endless on this scree slope up, up, up Kilimanjaro. And it, it was endless and I was at one point hallucinating. Um, you know, we stopped for a drink and I looked to my left, it is in the book, um, and I saw a man crossed legs sat next, next to a campfire in a, in a cave. <laughs> Strange place to be having a campfire halfway up Kilimanjaro and had a drink and turned around again and nothing there, just darkness. And it was like, oof, all right, I'm, I've seen things here a little bit. This is the altitude. Um, and all those little voices going through my head of, come on, this is getting a bit much now, let's go back to base camp, you know, but that, nope, let's keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other. And it was just a real challenge, a real push. And I remember the sun rising and getting towards the summit and hitting Gilman's Point and the guy turning around to me and just saying, congratulations, Steve, you've conquered the mountain. And getting really emotional and quite choked up and, you know, unexpectedly so. Um, and it was just magic. And we started a three-hour trek around to Yeru Peak. And it was, yeah, it was beyond tough. And it was probably the toughest thing I'd done at that point in my life, physically. Um but it was amazing, and I'd achieved that goal that I set myself, and I was excited to get back to school to share with the children, and it's just gone from there. You know, I felt then that I was no longer the fraud preaching to the children, follow your dreams, come in your comfort zones, push your boundaries on a daily basis. Yeah, great, but I'm thinking, well, am I doing that? No. No, but I can't preach it if I'm not doing it. Um, and then that infamous question, you know, when I came back and shared it with the children, that, that just like then, the hand went up at the back of class, and it was, uh, fantastic, what's next, sir? The woof, what a question. Mm. There was no grand plan of doing any, any you know, big adventures, uh, but I, it, it resonated with me. I thought, yeah, you know, I've set this challenge. Yes, I've achieved it. Fantastic. It's been an amazing adventure. Um, yeah, why stop there? Mm. Uh, and what's next? And it's just led, that question, if you like, has led to 13, 14 years of the most amazing, amazing experiences, challenges, the most amazing parts of the world. And it's just led to so many other opportunities to spread the word, if you like, about, you know, getting out and following your dreams that, that I never, never envisaged. You know, you talk about being a class teacher, something for 30 children every day. Yeah, as a young teacher, that's a, such a daunting prospect, but it's, it's second nature now to me. But being asked on the back of challenges to then, you know, doing awards even at, you know, Crompton House or, you know, high schools and thinking, gosh, speaking in front of three or 400 people um, who I don't know, but saying, well, yeah. Let's do it. You know, grab opportunities and, and, and take those opportunities. It led to becoming a, an ambassador for the Duke of Edinburgh Awards, you know, and finding myself sat in St. James's Palace, being introduced as the guest presenter and thinking, how on earth have I ended up sat here being given this opportunity, this privilege of, of, of presenting these, these gold awards in the Buckingham Palace? But the message to give to children is, you know, you grab opportunities in life and you see where they lead you and what's the worst that can happen? You know, you get booed off a stage or you get tomatoes or whatever. But it just makes life so much more exciting and interesting. But no matter what I do, what I achieve in life, I always take it back to the classroom and share it with the children because it's another part of that. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is, believe in yourself, grab opportunities, give your best, 
and see where life takes you because it's it's your life and, and live your best life. And, and it's, as I said, led to amazing, amazing, amazing things. And meeting wonderful people. I think, you, you know, the more you do, the more you get out there, you meet like-minded people who just motivate and inspire you. And that's what life's about, isn't it? It's, it's, it's living. You know, we can all exist, can't we, and just go through the motions and get on that treadmill. But it's getting out and living. And I think by coming out of your comfort zone and whatever it may be, just pushing those boundaries, it, you're alive, you feel alive, and you just, you're out there. But as I said, to have a 30-strong cheer squad behind you who hold you accountable every step of the way, um, it, it, it's magical, as I say, and to be on that journey with them too is it's, it's great. And see a lot of past pupils doing the Duke of Edinburgh Awards and little children at school, seven, eight-year-olds, saying to me already, Mr Hill, when we're a bit older, can we come and climb Mount Everest with you? When we're older, can we come in your challenges with you? And, and that was my heart. And I said, absolutely, 100%, that these young adventurers are also you know, starting to plan their own future adventures. And for me, it's job done, as I say. It is, you know, here to inspire others if possible, particularly the young younger generation Andy's got a question sir uh that thank thank you Mr Hill um thank you sir um three things uh, first of all Phil I found somebody could talk more than you never <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the quick fire round today oh good grief yeah 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 we'll have to renew our license on the quick quick fire round you know where you I'll explain later <laughs> it's important the listeners know how the quick fire round works so I'll Save it for later. I don't want to spoil anything right now. Quick fire. So, 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 so that was my first one. I think the altitude training has probably helped you be able to speak so much without drawing breath. Um, <laughs> um, there, was, there was a couple of things. I mean, you know, if you, if you want to like push yourself to, you know, to ex- explore new realms, if you like, and hallucinate, there are cheaper ways of doing that in Oldham. Than... I believe so. Yeah, in all those opportunities. Yeah, yeah. I've not, yeah. I've not, I've not tried them, um, but you know, I'm just saying. Um, could you, for the for the benefit of our listener or listeners globally and locally, um, could you just list some of these bonkers, crazy challenges? Because I'm not too sure Phil fully understands what these bonkers challenges are. Because you just literally tip of the iceberg there, isn't there? That was the start. So really, that says that there was starting in 2009. And then in 2010, the following year, it was climbing Mont Blanc, uh, the highest mountain in Western Europe. Um, a bit more technical, crampons and, and the like. And more dangerous, if you like. It's quite a dangerous mountain to climb. Then after Mont Blanc, it was trekking 200 miles to the Sahara Desert. It was a conscious thing of, well, let's try these different terrains, different environments, and then test the body in, you know, different, different, as I say, environments uh, around the world. Then it was a husky expedition through the Arctic and then on to climb Mount Elbrus, the highest mountain in Europe, in Russia. Again, all in summer holidays or school holidays. Um, being a teacher is very restrictive um, holiday-wise. Um, after climbing Mont, uh, Mount Elbrus, it was then to run the Mount Everest Marathon in 2014. Was that your first marathon? That was my first marathon. In fact, before that, it was the Jungles of Borneo, but that was the first marathon. And that's a big dream of mine is to climb Everest. I'd love to climb Everest, and, and it's on the list, and, and, you know, it's very expensive. And I did some research, and I came across the next best thing, I thought, was to get to base camp, which would be doable um, expense-wise. But as I did my research, I came across an event called the Mount Everest Marathon. Um, it's at the end of May every year. Uh, it coincides with the, the summit, first summit of Everest. And that really tickled my fancy. I thought, oh, that, that sounds fantastic. We're in a marathon at Everest, getting to base camp getting all that experience at base camp and then running a marathon back. And you're right, yeah, that was, well, at that point, I'd never run a marathon in my life. Uh, and that was going to be my first marathon. And that really excited wow. me. And, and I was called bonkers many, many times. 
But I thought, I know I can do this. And, it, and yeah, it excited me. So, yeah, I did the Mount Everest Marathon, and it was magical. The whole trek, well, the flying into Lukla, the trek into base camp, spending time at a school, though, and then the MLAs, the Tenzing Hillary School, spending two nights at base camp, and then running my first marathon from base camp was, was just epic. And it took me about nine and a half hours to get back to Namji Bazaar, but... Being my first uh, marathon fill, it was a personal best. And, you know, it just you know, nine and a half hours. No matter what time I got, it was going to be a PB. Wow. But uh, it was And it was. It was about enjoying the journey, um, which is important. And that was, as I say, fantastic. And after that, I thought, well, how do you surpass that? How do you, how do you better uh, in the Mount Everest Marathon? Um, and it's your first marathon. And I did more bit of research and got back and then I came across the North Pole Marathon. Whoa. Didn't know it was North Pole. Marathon in the North Pole. Um, <laughs> Touching minus 60 degrees oh, um, with that. But once I'd seen that, it, yeah, another expensive trip, I thought it wouldn't go. The seed had planted. So, yeah, I got a place on that. And then the following Easter, I found myself flying to Svalbard, from Svalbard up to Camp Barneo. And before I knew it, I was running around the North Pole, as you do, uh, and stood at the geographical North Pole, which was magical. To, to be able to stand at the geographical North Pole was was. You know, a primary school teacher from Shaw at the North Pole. I mean, just run the North Pole Marathon. And I'm led to believe many less people have run the North Pole Marathon than climbed Everest. So it's quite a, an exclusive sort of group, you know, of, of people. And that was great. Um, and then coming back from that, it was, well, a, a marathon in the desert. So I went to Jordan, to Petra, ran a marathon through the, the Petra Desert, which was, was, was great. To get the two extremes in, you know, minus 60 almost to plus 40. Uh, and then it got to a point where I felt, well, I've, I've proved I can do, you know, I'm not proven to anybody, but, you know, I've done these these marathons, these extreme marathons, and I, I felt the kids were getting a bit bored of that. You know, it was like, come on, sir, push your boundaries a bit more. You know, you you, you can do a marathon. Um, so I started doing some research, and, and, and the Marathon de Saab really appealed to me. Uh, and, and I actually booked a place, I paid my deposit, but then the dates were outside of school holidays, and it, it didn't work, so I lost that place. But doing some research, I came across the Amazon Jungle Ultramarathon, um, which was a self-supported ultramarathon through the Amazon Jungle. Um, six marathons in five days, carrying a hammock on your back, all your food, anti-venom pump, everything you need to survive in the Amazon Jungle on your back, and as I said, sleeping in the hammock at night. And that was just way out there, way out, triple bonkers, whatever. Um, but once I shared it with the kids, I knew I was, I was going to do it, and I was very excited about it. And the thought of still getting you know, killed by... Anacondas or, you know, German was fighting for them, yeah. More so than the polar bears at the North Pole. Um, and, that, and that was, I mean, ultramarathon, it's just ridiculous. And, and it was about as tough as it gets. But I was up for it. And, yeah, I booked my place. And off I went to the Amazon jungle and had a great time there. And it was uh, pretty brutal. The, the, you know, the talk, the safety talk beforehand by the race director was the curfew out there. You know, jungles are designed to kill. And it was just... It, it was. My trainer split. I lost six toenails. I was coming in back end of the pack every single night. I was coming in, in the middle of the night. I was putting my hammock up in the dark, ants everywhere, mosquitoes, you know, you name it, it's all in the jungle, isn't it? And running on wet claws all week and, and sore legs. Am I selling it to you, Phil? You yeah. fancy it? <laughs> but that was, that was probably as tough as it got at the time. And, 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 and it was, but what an adventure to be in the Amazon jungle for, you know, self-support for, for those, you know, five days was just epic. And then, obviously, coming back, and then it was like, well, where next? Well, on the back of that, I got invited to take part in the Arctic Ice Ultra. Same format, six marathons, five days through the Arctic wilderness in winter. Um, so that was the February half-term holiday. Um, brutal. 30 of us started that, and only 12 of us finished it. Um, and bear in mind, a lot of these are, are seasoned ultramarathon runners, you know, some of the best in the world, and 
little old Steve Elf, primary school teacher from Shaw, who's just plods around and just gets on with it. Um, but it's great, you know, you're in good company and we're all out there supporting, like, you know, as Andy knows, the running community, you know, everyone supports each other, you know, no matter whatever. But, you know, those ultramarathon runs are just bonkers uh, people, totally out there. Uh, but that was great. And then in between that, I took on the Uganda Marathon a few times. So that was, you know, I can talk a little bit more about the Uganda, which was, you know, the the catalyst, if you like, for setting up mm. the, the, the charitable trust. Uh, but went to Uganda and the Uganda, Uganda Marathon a couple of times, well, five times as it happened. Um, and then last summer, I took on the Great North Run, which was running across Iceland, which was nine marathons in nine days. Uh, from the north and south of Iceland. Right. See, when when you said the Great North Run, then I thought you dialed it down and were going out of Gateshead or wherever it is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> finally, <laughs> come to his senses. Um, so it, it was. So, so on, on that, and it's just as I said, lockdown. Obviously, things were restricted, challenge wise. So it was more, you know, virtual runs and what have you, and just keeping fit throughout lockdown. But as I said, we're back on now. So it is. It's, it, it's having adventures. It's going to these remote parts of the world. Um, Parts of the world that I can educate the children about in school um, through, through visiting these places, but just being out there and, and as they're pushing those boundaries and increasing those distances and just seeing what, you know, personal level, what what my body's capable of. And, and you know, we all often set boundaries on ourselves, don't we, that limits in ourselves and, and, you know, as children more than anyone. Mm. Um, but I'm a firm believer that those boundaries don't often, be, you know, they don't exist yeah. they're in our minds. And unless we push against those boundaries, you know, we don't know what we're capable of and we're all capable of so much more than we ever, ever imagined. Uh, it's just about getting out there and pushing, isn't it? And, you know, for me, it's one step at a time. Um, so, yeah, plans are fucked for this summer, which I may show you later, which is hopefully going to push further than the nine marathons, nine days. Um, but as I said, my, my big motivation is, is like I say, using it to, to hopefully inspire this next generation. These children have the great mm-hmm. privilege of teaching, mm-hmm. uh, making life a little bit more exciting for them and bringing that extra dimension into into the classroom um, and planting that seed of adventure for these future future adventurers. Uh, but but it, it, it's incredible. Um, just listening to that was tiring. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've listed off 10 amazing, epic adventures there, which one would be enough in anybody's lifetime. So, so that was amazing. But you, you, you mentioned Uganda. We, we have a mutual friend who, who helped with that, uh, Henry Blanchard. Yes, yes, yeah, it's yes. another kind of mutual connection. How did you get involved with the Uganda Marathon? Well, Henry's actually set the Uganda Marathon up uh, with a few friends in 2015, 16, I think it was. Um, always looking for that next challenge, and then I came across it again, you know, the Uganda Marathon, you know, advertises an adventure like no other. And it's a week of adventure, if you like. So it's in Masaka in Uganda, and you obviously get some sponsorship. You choose a project, a uh, school, you know, orphanages and so forth and, and you raise money for that up to the build up to the to the marathon and people and they think initially go for the marathon it's the uganda marathon at the end of the week um, but that week beforehand is a week of projects so you, you, you go to uganda it's like-minded runners who come from around the world and you stay at the same hotel and you go out to projects throughout that week beforehand and you're totally immersed in in in, in the local community you know there's, there's, there's no restrictions you're in like say orphanages uh, clinics, um, farms, schools, and so forth, and and it's just beyond anything you can imagine. The welcome you get from the, from the locals, from the children, the, the happy, smiley, singing, holding your hand, sharing you know their home with, with you, and we're helping to support those, those those projects. And then throughout the week, you know, we organise a sports day for the children, and then you get to the end of the week, and then it's the Saturday. You run the Uganda Marathon, which is a marathon 
through Masaka. So it's two two half marathons, two loops um, through the villages of Masaka. And the first time I went in 2018, I got to the marathon day and I thought, this is just going to be an anticlimax because this week has been far surpassed anything I've imagined. Mm. It's been totally magical and I know I'll be coming back again. But the marathon itself was just like nothing I'd done before because, yeah, it's a marathon. You're running with locals, but you're running through the villages and the children are just out in force and they're on every corner. They're there laughing, giggling, cheering you on, running with you. The number, I must think of about, you know, a million high fives out, teaching them a double thumbs up. You know, it's not one of them races where you're looking at your watch, you're thinking, no, just enjoy this. Uh, children running with you and just a real special, special moment. And, and there was lots of special moments, but one of them was you know, a group of lads who were running with me for a couple of K, you know, with Crocs on and flip flop barefooted and wow. I'm struggling to keep up with them. <laughs> and uh, one by one, they dropped off. And this one boy just kept running with me for, he must have been five or six K, maybe longer. And we were sharing stories and they had, you know, an ear, ear pod in one ear for me and he had to listen to my music with one ear pod. And I'm sharing with Gels, he's asking me lots of questions. And it's, that there you go, Andy, yeah, that's the infamous photo. It's one of my favourite photos, that. Um, it's just a special moment. Neither of us knew the photograph were being taken. But just both private people in together. Um, but it got to a point where I felt he'd been with me a while and stupidly thought he might get lost and you know, it wasn't going to be the case. And I gave him a thousand shillings, which is about 50 pence. And I just said, thanks for being with me, you know, and, and, and go and get yourself some sweets, you know. As, as, and his eyes lit up and his big, big smile and he thanked me and off he went with his thousand shillings. And I carried on running. Uh, my fault was a fast place, but he wasn't a fast place at all. <laughs> but so off, you know, second loop of the, of the, the marathon. And it was just this, 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 you know, sixth sense of just, feeling that, you know, someone was following me and, you know, the five, ten in the distance is this little, little boy running towards me. And as he got closer and closer, he had two ice creams in his hand. He'd gone and bought both an ice cream. He'd thousand shillings. And he came and he said, for you. It was all melting down his hand. And it was one of those moments I'll never forget. And it gives me goosebumps now talking about it. I just thought, it just summed up everything about Africa, everything about, you know, Uganda. Mm. It's about giving. They, 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 you know, you you think you're helping over there, but they're giving back in so much in return. And it was just a special week. Um, and I went back the following year in 2019, got involved in different projects um, and had the chance to have more conversations, visited a school on Kalangala Island um, in the middle of Lake Victoria. And it was a very small school, been set up six, seven months. Uh, and we set up by a doctor, uh, Dr. James, who have become very good friends with, you know, over the time. And just talking to him about the school and, and he was saying, you know, I said, what are your priorities and, and what have you? And he says, well, we need to build a dormitory and obviously expand the school. But, you know, some of our children have been and they were attacked on the way to school. Now you think attacked, you think by animals. No, you know, little girls being attacked by human predators on the way to school. And that was just shocking to hear. And you hear, unfortunately, these awful stories. I said, well, what would that cost? And it equated to about £6,000. And immediately I thought, wow, you know, every year through the fundraising, I'm raising something along those lines, if not a little bit more. And I thought, if £6,000 could build a dormitory that would keep these children safe and be able to board at school, then that's what it has to be. And I've been fundraising, like I said, from 2009 for lots of different charities, you know, with the children at school. And I think I always knew deep down that I wanted to set my own charity up one day uh, and bring people together with this this, this common force for good, if you like, to make a difference in the world. And coming back after the second visit and having had that conversation with, with Dr. James, who had an amazing story himself. You know, he, he was a doctor. Um, he lived in Uganda um, with his wife. And they heard of the story that on the island, uh, Kalangala, a lot of women were dying in childbirth. 
uh, for need of a very minor operation that he could quite easily operate, no, you know, so easily. Um, so he moved over to the island to offer his services. And eventually they trusted him and, and, and he became part of the community. And he was saving many, many lives through this minor operation uh, for, for women in childbirth. Um, but his wife became pregnant and there's no schools on the island at all. And the only option was to, to move back to the mainland, you know, where there'd be, you know, schools for the, for the children to be educated. And rather than doing that, um, the response was, I think, response was, well, let's build our own school. And that was just so inspiring in itself. It's thinking, wow, you know, and it didn't say anything, you know, massively inspiring about that. But I did. I thought, you know, that's just an amazing mindset. Set the school up. And the school's now expanding and expanding, and, and we're still involved in, in, in supporting that school. But it was those conversations and the experience in Uganda that, 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 that prompted, if you like, the setting up of Team Hill Charitable Trust in 2019. And, you know, with, with the, the sole purpose of making a difference in the world. Um, so supporting projects in Uganda, but also projects in, in Oldham as well, you know, in our local yeah. community. So it, it's both international and locally. And, you know, it was a case of, yeah, bringing people together. Like a lot of things, it's just surpassed anything you could have imagined. You know, 2019, lockdown came. People came together to help and support. And we supported lots of people through lockdown with food shops and, and, and you know, welfare calls and, and prescription pickups. And it was just people wanted to be part of this this, 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 this something good. And, you know, people wanted to do something in lockdown, wasn't sure what, but they saw that they come and join TML and, and help and support in that way. And then from since lockdown, it's just got stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger. And as I say, it's just magical to see children involved and as I say involved lots of like-minded people and our sole aim in life uh, through the charities to make a difference and I think you know we, we like to be doing that so bringing like-minded people together and you know I hope to get back to Uganda again this year and it, it, it's one of those you know you, you visit Africa visit Uganda it gets in your heart and it's mm. one of those places you, you just visit him because it's just yeah. it's just totally different experience and as I say you know you mentioned yourself Andy about maybe Coming in the future, uh, there's no marathon this year, but I would say it's just, yeah, it's something you, you it's life changing, you know, and it sounds a bit of a cliche, but it really is life changing. Yeah, count me in for next year. Uh, Nikki and I have spoke about it. Uh, Nikki wants that to be her first marathon, but she's, for the reasons you've said previously, she wants to go and actually immerse herself in the community. She works in schools as well. She works with children with special needs, and she just feels like as soon as she, she heard about it, she's like, I've got to go and do this the marathon yeah but actually she just wants to get involved in the culture and help out so it, it really is you go from the marathon but you, actually the way yourself that we get immersed in that culture yeah. is just beyond anything you can imagine it, it really is is special so as i said this year i'm going on my own back and hopefully start putting things together like maybe yeah. get the marathon going again next year with a, with a better look Brilliant. so fingers crossed i think on all the routes i've done it a few times on all the route we can just we'll go out for a, a marathon run ourselves um Shout out to uh, Henry Blanchard as well, who spoke brilliantly at TEDx Oldham. Um, yeah. And I loved what his message was there, is that people go over and they try and make a difference and end up can often do more damage than good by, you know, yes. by taking yeah. stuff, which then would leave other locals with, with less work to do, if you like, where they want to yeah. be quite um, entrepreneurial, if you like. They want to support themselves. And I loved how he finished this talk was, you know, so we created the Uganda Marathon and then give it back to the Ugandans so they can run it. So rather than, yeah. you know, somebody outside of the, of the area profiting on them, you know, we'll give it back to them and then they can, you know, they can benefit from something which is which is all about making a positive difference. So I, I, love, I love that story. Um, so do you fancy it then, Phil, next year? Not really. 
Okay. <laughs> I think I'm it's away. It's between Uganda or the Amazon jungle, I think. I think it's, 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 yeah, it's between the two, really. Um, my, no, my, my, my running has run off a cliff in the last 12 months. <laughs> Uh, for one reason or, or another, and uh, I'm 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 needing to get myself back out there. And um, I've started restarted with my local gym a couple of months ago, and I'm just trying to get myself back into into being able to go and tackle an even remotely small run. So that's my 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 Amazon challenge at the minute is to do like a ten k. You know, which I'd, I'd be doing every other day at one point, and then it's just, just not happening. So, yeah, maybe I need some some bigger challenge. One step at a time. Ten k, five k, ten k, and back into it. Yeah, yeah. soon get back into you're it. You put in the book left, right, repeat. Left foot, right foot, repeat. Yeah, yeah. left foot, right foot, repeat. Right that's all it was. I mean, just I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the charitable trust and meeting the Queen shortly, but. Something would just seems very relevant to ask you. You know, you listed off some ridiculously long, extreme events there. Um, my personal experience of doing the, the toughest event, which was Ironman, which you don't like to talk about, that's why I just mentioned it. Um, did you do the Ironman, Andy? Thanks for asking, Phil. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I've not mentioned it for a few minutes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, that to me was a mental challenge, and. But with all the training in the world, you know, and there's two questions, two parts of this question, which is about training, you know, physically. But how do you train mentally, and what do you do? You know, what do you think about? How do you keep yourself going when it's just not just darkness around you, but darkness inside you when there's nothing theoretically, nothing mm-hmm. left? How do you carry on doing that? What do you think about? What do you do? I mean, it is. I mean, like I say, you prepare yourself physically, don't you? You train the best you can and physically, but it, it, I don't know what percentage-wise, but you play 67% of it is mental, you know, the, the, these long distances, because, you, you know, I find myself in the middle of the Amazon jungle in the middle of the night, having been out for 18 hours and, you know, last one, you know, before getting into camp. And for me, experiencing the Amazon at night when the faster runners were getting in before, you know, in daylight, but knowing that you're being stalked and there's all sorts around you, but it's just, again, that left foot, right foot, just just putting one foot in front of the other and keeping moving forward and, you know, little treats. You know, I'd have to get to a checkpoint, have a little bit of music, get to a checkpoint and have a, have a couple of pieces of Kendall Mint cake or, you know, little treats that you, you, you're rewarding yourself for, for being another 10K. But mind games, you know, you do get those mind games where you get those, those voices that creep into your head that's saying, come on now, enough's enough, time to quit. And it's about having that knack of just ignoring those voices. And, and, I don't know what it is. I've not done any mental training in that respect, but I just have that that knack of being able to enjoy those mind games. And, and it makes me smile, those little voices, and think, come on, let's go. And then the thought of the kids back at school and thinking there's not a chance of going back and saying that I quit before I had to. You know, sometimes you get pulled out by medics, but if I can keep moving myself forward, I'm going to keep moving forward. And I don't obsess with times. I don't worry about positions. It's just, like, you know, getting to that finish line for me. So, you know, one of my, again, going back to mantras is, is, is you know, making that decision in the first place, getting to that start line in reasonably good nick, you know, mentally and physically. Getting to the finish line is important, but enjoying the journey in between, yeah. you know, it's, it's a key thing. And I think a lot of the more elite runners lose that essence of enjoying the journey in between. It's all looking at clocks and looking at times. Mm-hmm. But if you're only through the Amazon jungle, if you don't stop and take it in and think, wow, what a privilege. I'm in the middle of the Amazon jungle or I'm in the middle of the, the Arctic wilderness and the northern lights above me and I'm running through just let's take this in a minute or you've got to enjoy the moment and live in the moment and, and enjoy that journey too but there are low points and you know Luke 
ripping my trainer and, and, and blisters upon blisters and, and infected blisters and toenails that have gone purple and all the usual joyous things of being a runner. But just as I say, putting that one foot in front of the other and breaking these big undertakings into small, unmanageable chunks. You know, so when I did the nine marathons through Iceland, I wasn't thinking about nine marathons. I was thinking about day one, marathon one, and let's let that one marathon down into that, as it's basically it is, that first step. Mm. That first step that then becomes that first mile, that first mile that becomes first checkpoint, and then let's start again, and then day one's done, let's let's look at day two. So I think it's important that when we are doing big, huge undertakings, small little manageable chunks, lots of little successes, little pats on the back, bits of Kendall mint cake and you know a few peanuts and what have you and but enjoying it not not always thinking about that finish enjoying the journey and, and taking in your surroundings and, and, and enjoying it but I don't know I have a knack and I've, I've, I've you know I've talked about this with people before that you know when I get on that plane and fly off to wherever I'm going to, to do the challenge I do have a bit of a knack of just switching into challenge mode mm. I just said you know I just switches where I'm in challenge mode now whatever gets thrown at me let's deal with it That's you know I'm looking back you know, you're getting into a you know, into camp at night in the Amazon, you know, mm. and you're so wet, you've been crossing rivers, you're sweaty, you're wet, it's dark, you've got full of bites, ant bites and mosquito bites. You've got to put your hammock up, you get into your hammock in pretty much wet clothes, you're dripping in, in sweat, you're trying to get a few hours sleep, you've got blisters, you're ache, and you've got to go up again and put all these wet things back on again and go again. And it's like, God, how do you do that? But in the moment, you just get on with it. You just, you know, you get to that start line and you hobble over and you get moving again and then you loosen up and off you go and, it is, but I enjoy that battle. I enjoy those mind games. I enjoy the stupidly the pain. And then, you know, I, I, I don't know. What's, I'm not wired properly. I don't think, but I do enjoy. You'll get that on then, Dandy. With the, there is a discomfort, you know, with any running, isn't there? Yeah, I can, I can kind of kind of resonate that from a from a running perspective. But you know, it's it's a completely different level, though. Sometimes, you know, I I do a marathon, got my hips hurting, so I'm, I'm, I'm I probably won't get a PB. It's a bit different to. You know, there's an anaconda probably chasing me, you know, or whatever. You know, it's a little, puts it in perspective a little bit. Um, mm. I, I suppose there's this, what I like, it actually is, I like to feel some level of discomfort. You know, it's, I want it to actually hurt. Otherwise, what's the point of even doing this? You know, it's just, you mentioned comfort zones and being outside of comfort zones. There's there's a point where, and I think that was the thing with, with some of the events I've done, I've gone beyond my comfort zone so quickly, so rapidly, it's taken me a long time to get over it emotionally, not physically, but no. emotionally. So, so something I wanted to know was, I mean, you've achieved some ridiculous things. A lot of people I know will have an anticlimax afterwards. You know, they'll be like, they're so physically, mentally drained that, and they're fatigued. They, they, it affects them in, you know, almost like a, de- a depressive episode. Does that ever happen to you? It hasn't to much with you. I get what you're saying because you invest so much into it prior to doing the challenge, don't you? It becomes, I mean, you know, the Ironman, you know, you must have been training for months and months and months. It becomes part of everyday life, doesn't it, to this this, this event. And after the event, like you say, you, you know, you're emotionally drained, you're physically drained, and it's like, I'm not really, I'm, no, because I'm, when I come back, immediately I'm back into school because mm. it's generally, like I say, it's school holidays, so I'm immediately back in, you know, sometimes the day after. So, you know, with the Arctic one, I was back, you know, on the Sunday night, I was back in school on the Monday, and I wasn't in any great nick, you know, any for the kids, you know, there wasn't much going on that morning, <laughs> but I'm pretty much, I'm not much time to think about it. But as soon as I'm back, I'm generally then looking for the next one. What, yeah. what you know, what's, what dates, next school holidays, what can I fit in, and then getting on to that next, next challenge. So I've not had any great lulls. They may come, you know, in the future when I start slowing down a bit. I don't know, but, uh, but I get what you're saying, totally get, you know, the investment to it. It can easily be a, a real afterwards. A lot of athletes will say this, where you, you you need to be held accountable to others. You know, 
to, to mm. and you have got that in abundance, haven't you? You've got those thirty-ish from last term and this thirty-ish from the next term. Oh yeah. Plus the community yeah. around you. Hence the title of the book. What's next, sir? I suppose you you probably expected I'm going to get this question, so I, I really can't think about recovery. I just need to think about what's next. What's next? And I mean that. And, and sometimes it's like, what will the next? I, you know, I've not always got the answer, but I know something will come along um, that will, that will be next, as I say. And, and I've got a list of things I want to do when I eventually retire from teaching. I've got that freedom to go at any time in the year. But at the moment, I've been I've been very fortunate that they've all you know, fitted in the, into the school holidays. But um, and each year's a new set of kids to, to hopefully get on board with. Mm. But so I say, a lot of my past pupils, they're still old accountable. And if they ever bump into past pupils out and about, you know, I think my oldest one now will be about, past. well, my first class will be about 36 now. Whoa. I was going to ask that. You know, how, how, have, you, have you been able to, of, of those sort of generations of kids that you first teach, or certainly around the first bunch of challenges, Steve, what have you have you seen some of those kids since there? Has has that influenced them? Have they pushed the boundaries of what they could do? Whether it's like um, on an athletic, physical thing, or in terms of careers that they might not have pushed for if they hadn't had you sort of inspiring them through those tasks. I mean, it, it, there's nothing nice as a teacher to bump into past pupils and and, and for them to stop and chat and speak so favourably about, you know, I often get best best year of my life so in, in, in year six with, with you, loved it. Remember doing that, remember doing this, and it's just wonderful. And I, I generally remember them, I really do. And it's hard to say how much of an impact that's had on them, but, you know, the majority want to do Duke of Edinburgh Award up to the Gold Award, which is, is always great to see, you know. And, and generally, yeah, being successful in life, you know, whatever they, they may be doing, you know, the parents now and, and what have you, and you hope to play a small part. But they always mention the challenge that was the year's challenge, you be like. So we all have that. That ownership. I, I remember classes as, you know, from 2009, which class I had for Kilimanjaro, which class was the Amazon Jungle uh, class, which was, and I always remind them, and they remember that. So I think it does have an impact on the life. To what degree, it's hard to say, but as I say, I'm always very proud of past pupils. And as I say, as a teacher, if, if they don't cross over the road to go on the other side of the road and avoid you, <laughs> you've done something right at some point. I mean, and I think it's the greatest compliment they can pay you that, that, that they, they come and have a chat. And, you know, the last race night, Andy, you know, when yeah. the, the the career club at the end when we were clearing up there was a lady in there she wasn't in the race night in the back room and she had two children with her and she was near the bar talking to someone and she just looked over and said Mr Hill I bet you don't remember me do you I looked at her and looked at her and her name just jumped into my head I said I do and I said her name and she went no way <laughs> she sat down and, and then she made a good chat and she was in my first class and she was 36 really? and I don't it just and I just think wow and again with a good reminisce and I think, God, yeah, I taught you when you're 10 year old. Wow. I don't feel any older now than I was when I taught you there, but you know, you're 36 now. So it, it brings it home how old I'm getting. Yeah, it means that, you know, <laughs> that's the thing. It does, yeah, age you sometimes when, you, when you're teaching children of, you know, the parents you taught the parents. And oh, yeah. last year, a little girl in my class who, who sat there very innocently and just said, Mr. Hill, do you know that you went to school with my granddad? <laughs> I went. Thank you. Lowest point of teaching. Like, that was my lowest point. Uh, and she, she's right. Granddad was a year above me at school. Obviously, he's very young, granddad. But anyway. Wow. But, but yeah. So, yeah, I hope, it, I hope it does, as I say, because, you know, a big motivation in doing it in the first place was school can sometimes get a little bit boring and robotic. You know, mm-hmm. we, we were teaching to the test. We're teaching to the curriculum. And, and it's the way you teach it is all important. And I'd like to think my children enjoy and there's a love of learning. But it's important. They've got a love of the outdoors, a love of... Love of sports, a love of physical activity, a love of getting muddy sometimes and getting out there, things that we always took for granted as kids. 
but opening the world up. I'm just looking in books that, you know, our teacher, who's a normal bloke, he goes out and, and he goes to these remote parts of the world and he does these daft challenges and he comes back to tell us all about it. And if he can do it, then I can do it. And it's not, I'm not for one minute saying everyone should go run through the Amazon jungle, everyone should go and climb mountains, what have you, but it's having those dreams, whatever they may be, that are a little bit out there, a little bit scary, a little bit exciting, but they're achievable. And whatever it is that they have as a dream that they want to achieve in life, I'm hopefully sure that they can achieve it. But it's not just going to happen for them. They've got to believe in themselves. Mm. They've got to believe in those dreams. They're not going to work hard for it. There's going to be setbacks in life. And when you get setbacks, you just brush yourself down and get up again and you keep moving forward and don't quit. Uh, and that's the message I say going back to that self-belief, hard work, determination and never giving up when things get tough. Get out there and anything is possible. And, and as I say, it's not. I'm just doing it through the medium of getting chased by anacondas and things like that. And nothing. <laughs> Living my best life. That's brilliant. There's so many quotes to, to, to take from this when you're editing, Phil. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Could write a book from this podcast. Well, the wall in are filled with, with quotes. And that, that was the thing, I think. I had walls full of quotes and thought, yeah, they're great quotes. I love them. I, I believe mm. in them, but I'm not following them. And he was like, well, let's start following them. Then I can start preaching, yeah. you know, the, these quotes. You know, one of the simplest ones is, I can and I will watch me. And it's just that, that mindset of whatever it is, I can, I will watch me. And if if kids can take that away and go through life and just, just believe in themselves, you've cracked it, haven't yeah. you? Because I think that's a lot of low aspirations. You know, you know, I said before, you know, I do get asked to go in, in schools and do assemblies and do talks about my challenges, which I love doing. And if I can fit it in my PPA times, it's great. And I often started off by just saying, put your hands up, who's got big dreams? You know, you've got a hall full of, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven year olds. Very few hands go up quite often. It's like, oh my God, you know, these kids have got, well, I've had these conversations about big dreamers and the low aspirations. And it's a case of waking these kids up to what is out there, what they can achieve, and, and believing in themselves. And it's not all about the academic side, it's about into that drive to, to follow these dreams mm-hmm. and to achieve it and, and to deal with setbacks because that's the thing, resilience now, isn't it? That the first sign of something being difficult, often it's like, oh, I'm not even going to try it, it's too, too hard. Yeah. But it's like, no, try it and, and get setbacks, get knocked back, and let's get on with it. Learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're often teaching the path of least resistance, aren't we? And we shouldn't really be teaching that, yeah. So before going to quick fire, it'd be wrong of me not to ask about meeting the Queen. Well, now you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, meeting the Queen was just uh, the, probably the most surreal moment of, of my life and, and, and all the more special that was caught on, on, on video. But yeah, it was back in 2014 where I received a letter through the post, a white envelope, you know, cabinet officer on it, not thinking much of it, and opening this letter, I think it was November 2014, and being informed that I'd been nominated for and awarded an MBE, um, and would I accept it? And it's, you can imagine reading that, the most yeah, unexpected letter to receive and a bit of a shock and walking away from it and thinking, oh my God, you know. So it's actually a question. Yeah, it's from the... The Prime Minister more so he's on, on behalf of the, the, the Queen. And you got a reply. Um and yeah, and you can't tell anybody, it's it's in strictest confidence. Um yeah, bizarrely. But then you you, you realise, you know, there's been a lot of people, things involved behind this and yeah, you accept it and then in the New Year's honours list obviously it was announced and then but you get oh god, messages from people around you like, Oh my god, you know, why why wow. Everyone really pleased, and I was glad about that because you worry not you that people might think, "Oh, who do you think you are?" And it's, it's, it's something that people have put you forward for. Um, and then I got the date; it was in uh, March, March fifteenth, and it was Buckingham Palace. And um, up until getting to the palace, you don't know who's going to present the awards. Um, so we had a, a day down there with the nieces, um, dad, brother, 
Mum passed away in 2012, so I would have loved to have been part of that. But she was there in spirit. And, um, yeah, I was told that the flag's flying above Buckingham Palace, the Queen's in residence, and there's a chance that we're the Queen. But I hadn't thought much about that beforehand. you that taking everything in. And then we got into the palace and I just overheard a little old lady speaking to one of the guards who's saying, do we know who's presenting today? And he leant across with a big smile on his face and said, you've got the Queen, ma'am. And until that point, it wouldn't have mattered, I don't think, but knowing it was the Queen then, it just made it that extra, extra, extra special. Um, you then got took off into a room and you, you briefed about, you know, what to do and, and how it's going to work, that you've, you know, your name will be announced, you walk three paces forward, you turn to your left, you bow your head, you walk towards the Queen, she'll pin your medal on, address her as Your Majesty, and then in Mama's in Jam, she'll talk to you. Uh, and when she shakes your hand, uh, you take three paces back, you bury your head and off you go. And you think, oh my God, I've got to remember all that. And she's going to talk to me. Anyway, before I knew it, I was stood in front of the Queen. And um, it was like, that's the Queen. That's the Queen. And she put the medal on, smiled at me and just started chatting. And it was just the most natural, warm conversation. Um, it was just me and the Queen for maybe three minutes. It felt like forever and the most intimate moments. And um, she laughed during the conversation, and I didn't realise she'd laughed in the conversation until afterwards when my, my, my um, sister-in-law said, what did you say to make her laugh? I made the Queen laugh. What? And, and, and then it all came back. And it was along the lines of, so the conversation went, you know, so you're a teacher, and, you, and you, you know, you're raising me for charity, and you, you take on challenges to inspire the children you teach. I said, I do, ma'am. And it went on and said, and then in two weeks' time, I'm off to the North Pole to run the North Pole Marathon. And she just says, why? And, says, and she, she chuckled away. So rather you than me, good luck with everything. It's just the most heartwarming video. Every time I watch it, it makes me smile. It's just so special. And now the Queen's obviously passed. It just, it's all the more special. Um, so, yeah, something I never, ever envisaged ever being awarded. Nobody ever does. Um, but for me, again, it's a, it, it, it belongs to everybody, that, that award. I take it to class regularly. I let the kids put it on and they wear it. You know, I always make sure they know that they're part of that medal. And But again, showing them that anything is possible, isn't it? It doesn't matter where you come from. You know, you can find yourself doing these these, these amazing things. So, yeah, special moment, something I'll never forget. Um but I don't talk about it often, like the, like the, the, the Iron Man. It's just one of the, you come to the conversation, <laughs> smile on my face. Like, talk about it. You couldn't wait, though, could you? Yeah, it, 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 yeah, one of those moments. But again, life's journey, isn't it? It, it, it? You do unexpected things, you go down paths that you never envisage going down. And sometimes it's exciting, sometimes it doesn't work out. Mm. But uh, one of the quotes I do often wall in class, and again, it, it, it's something to live by, is when a window opens and the prospect pleases, float through that window. It may never open again. And it's about wow. grabbing opportunities, isn't it, and seeing yeah. where they lead in life. And there's no point having this big grand plan. Sometimes you've just got to go with it, haven't you? And it makes life that much more exciting. Yeah. And, um, yeah, all well, good. There you never know, you might write a book about it. What funny you should say that. <laughs> I've um, I've got this book in my hand. It's called What's Next, Sir? Written by Steve Hill, MBE, and Ian Blunt. Could you could you tell us where 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 our listeners could get this from, please? Well, it is, yeah. The book's um, it's available at Amazon on Amazon, uh, Waterstones, all good bookshops. Uh, and I have got a few boxes at home also here for you know to take when I do my talks and so forth. But uh, that's another one of those moments. That still doesn't seem real, having a book out. It's still very surreal. And, and it came out last year, and the book launch and everything was just magical. And and I go back to to be, to be the children in school. You know, one of the highlights, the highlights of my teaching career was um, the Monday morning after the book launch with the children on the on the Friday evening. Uh, I'm doing registration, and I looked up, 
and pretty much all the class were reading the book, What's Next Sir? And I just, as a teacher, I just sat there and thought, right, just take this in for a minute. There's no point in rushing on now. Just take this in, because how many teachers get to see their class reading their book about adventure? And it was just a magical moment and probably the highlight of, the, of my career. And then I was asking them a couple of questions, you know, what chapter you're up to? And the responses blew me away. It was, sir, I've just climbed Kilimanjaro. Sir, I've just been through the Amazon jungle. I've just met the queen. And I just thought, they're, they're, they're living the adventure. They're believing the adventure. They're, they're living it themselves. And I think, you know, it's bringing it to life for the children. And if that's going to inspire them to get out there and, and live the best lives, follow the dreams, then as a teacher, as a human being, that's my, my job done. I'll die, I'll die a happy man tomorrow. So, yeah, special, special moments. But again, never part of the grand plan. Not a, not a bit of I will I will say to our to our listeners um, strong recommendation to read this book because it is full of inspiration. A word that you've used a lot, and it is you know that's that's almost in your DNA by by the sounds of things. That seems to be your purpose is in, to inspire people because you inspire me, and I'm sure you're inspiring people listening to this podcast. And that you inspire me, felt lovely to meet you, and you'll inspire me. I'm sure. We, we, I think as human beings, in whatever we do, it doesn't have to be that physical thing, does it? It's just about being a good human being. I hope and, and yeah. just. Being a role model that people can look up to and, and someone who, you know, we think of other people a little bit, don't we? And we make a bit of a difference in the world. I think that's, that's what it is. And, and yeah. you know, being a teacher, I'm in that privileged position where I have that, that you know, the audience of like a 30 children every year. And, and I want to give them more than just the academic side. I want them to, as I say, leave feeling confident in themselves that, you know, whatever's thrown at them in life, they can, they can deal with it. I love that. Before we, before we uh, finish off with a, a quick fire, I'm going to mix things up a little bit. Um, quick observation. In the book, what you've just described to me sounds like learning to lead. And what you've just articulated to me is that, you know, actually doing things to to help other people, not just say you're going to do it, but actually do things, dream big. And that for me is like probably the most poignant chapter in the book. I, I love reading about the adventures, but that realisation, that moment that I need to do something. It's one of the questions we often ask guests is, you know, so what changed in your life? What actually happened in your life? And I'll, so that for me, that's the observation. And, for, and I'd urge listeners to to buy the book and one one of the things that we do as readers take a photograph and go what's next sir has now landed in guatemala or gran canaria or didsbury or wherever it wherever it goes if you do we we drop us a message or a photograph and let us know that you've done that because i think it's definitely it's definitely worth doing it's definitely a book i, I would suggest reading just as, as a quick um We'll do with observations very shortly. I'm going to mix things up a little bit. I'll usually do a quick fire, sir. And Phil, you're usually, you're usually brilliant at quick fire. Sir, could you do the quick fire questions this this time? So a quick, quick fire question will be just whatever comes to mind, simple quick fire questions. I'll give you no warning. We haven't practiced this, so this could go badly wrong. So luckily we've got an editor online. We can edit this out if it goes wrong. But sir, can you ask Phil and I some quick fire questions, but be prepared to answer them yourself? So quick five question, right. So Phil, are you going to set yourself a challenge now of 5K by a certain date in the summer maybe? Yeah. Andy and I will join you. Not even that. You know, I, I, the 5K will come easily. You know, I really, I mean, like it really will. Like I just need to get my arse in gear and do it like consistently, you know, and just remind myself that at the start it was a challenge and the 10K at the start was a challenge and just go, you know what? Mm it became stuff that I would just do, but it started to feel like a, a grind to just see him get out there at the minute. So I'm definitely, I mean, I will, I will say what are we on now. We're in mid April, 14th of April. By the end of this month, I will have at least done a 5k again. 
I'm going to do that. And then by the end of the next month, I will do a 10K. Right. Well, Landis, you'll be joining me in the 5K and catch up with a coffee afterwards, maybe? Yep. Oh, flipping it. Yeah, you'll be, you'll, be, you'll be racing me. A part run, maybe. Let's get some day in the Yeah, it'll, well, I'll definitely be up for that. We won't be racing. <laughs> no, God, no, no. Nice and easy. We'll chat along the way. We'll have a chat. You're younger than us. Yeah, not not in not in body <laughs> at the minute. Andy, what's for you after the London Marathon? Any plans yourself going forward? Physical activities or otherwise? Either or. Um, I've got 17 events in the diary so far. So I would like to end the year with about 25 events, which would be pretty cool. Long term, this is not this year, so longer term. I want to represent my country at something athletic. That might take 20 or 30 years, so it's a long, long journey, this. I've checked the Northern Masters websites and international athletics websites, and I'm so far off those paces, it's unbelievable. Um, so it could be at something like triathlon, duathlon. Scrabble. Um, but possibly, well, I'm crap with words, you know what I mean? I'd be taking chat GPT with me at Scrabble. And cheating, but that was in a previous episode yeah. which you should check out. Um, no, I'd, I'd, I'd like to represent the country at something athletic, and I'm, mm. I'm still not sure, still not sure what that is. And I'd, I think triathlon, I think triathlon's the one for you, isn't it? Triathlon, duathlon, like you in, said. In Rochdale Tri Club, I'm like in the bottom half for my age category. Seriously, I'm not that good, but you know, I, I still, I'm still not going to stop. I'm going to, I'm going to push myself to the extremes to try and get to the point of selection for something. So watch this space. You know, I was going to keep training. Going to treat. Going to keep training hard. It's good to have the dreams into the list, isn't it? And just yeah, things yeah. to try to, yeah. to going forward into absolutely and in between. You know, you find lots of other things happening, don't you? As you it's go, pretty, yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. I mean, I only started running what five, five and a half years ago. So mm. I've got a lot of catching up to do. On the plus side, my body hasn't taken a lot of damage, so it should be quite fresh. Yeah, it always looks fresh. You always look. You always make it look easy. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> And any other quick fire questions for us? Quick fire questions. Like I say, allow me. I look forward to having a five k with you both at some point. Um, any international events maybe coming up? And Uganda, you mentioned Uganda next uh, year, potentially. Not coming up. In, I'd, I'd like to go to Boulder, Colorado, because a lot of um, inspirational ultra athletes seem to you know, descend on Colorado for for its for its trails, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a bucket lister for sure. And I'd like to do the authentic Greek marathon. Um, right. Because that's you know that's just folklore. That's where mm. Philippides apparently did his you know did his his run from uh, Marathon to Athens and died when he crossed the line. Um, so hopefully I won't die if I do that. No, hopefully not. No, sounds good. Other than that, no, I don't think about any quite fine questions. You put me in the spot there. Like, <laughs> yeah, we were expecting that, were you? Well, that's you know <laughs> that's that, that's my <laughs> job. But the tables. It was just to, to, to stop me from talking, really, Steve, because you can't shut you up sometimes. I'm joking. I'm joking. It's all good. It's all good. So this is where Dave, Misha Dave, love you, uh, would usually summarise with something really, really cool, and I think that's going to be Phil's job today. Yeah, I'll do it short form. Do it, do it quick and snappy. Quickfire, yeah. Can we explain what <laughs> no, that means again? No, well, no, no. I think, think our listeners <laughs> understand now because the difference. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, Jesus, what I've taken away from this is just absolute determination and inspiration and perspiration. <laughs> but just the <laughs> oh determination God. to go, you know what? I'm going to set lead by absolute example here. And there's nothing worse than 
someone standing in front of you telling you that the, you know you need to go out and see your dreams do all of this kind of stuff that not kind of willing to do that themselves right mm. so i am jealous of the 30 kids a year that are sat in steve's class like just learning being part of these journeys i think that's absolutely stunning um so fantastic the inspiration there and then they're just getting out the perspiration of just you know the daily grind being up the amazon with the anacondas and all of that kind of stuff that that's just everything physically mentally is saying stop now give up go and the one thing that's in your head is if i go back to my class i'll have 30 people that i'm accountable to and they won't mind probably they'd be like well you got out and did it but you know you'd be letting them down if you didn't actually go see it right through to that last you know you know, blast through the, the 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 closing line kind of thing and i think that's absolutely mm. stunning yeah. really do I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm oh, thank you, bro. I couldn't go back to class if I didn't finish it. I couldn't go back. I'd have to go. I'm missing, you know, I'm missing you now. <laughs> Supply team's <laughs> on for you for, for the rest of your career. No, it's always one of them. You know, you've got to listen to the advice of the medics, and if they tell you you're done, you're done. But other than that, if I'm in, I'm in, and, and keep going. But, you, you know, you say that. But, you know, I feel the privileged one that I get the, the chance to teach these wonderful, you know, boys and girls and, and to be part of their lives and say is is magic you know you get past the the tip boxing and and, and and the robotic side of teaching which unfortunately is too much of it and remember why we're there and it's as I said, to inspire these these young minds and to get them excited about coming into school every day and and making it exciting for them and if there's a prospect of sir getting eaten on one of his challenges and no home <laughs> for a few weeks then it makes life all the more exciting for them yeah. That's brilliant. I think my my takeaway lessons from this are really simple. Is two things: keep moving forward. I, that's just a that's a quote for life in everything we do, isn't it? Um, and the other one is: am I making a difference? That's it. Move forward, make a difference. That's that 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 works for me. So if, if we were to put some quotes on a wall, I think it would be that. Um, and I think that's that's all our purposes, isn't it? That's yeah. That's what we should all be doing, leading by example. So thanks for that. Steve, I wanted to say thanks for uh, for joining us on the show. I was delighted when you agreed when I saw you recently. Round at your house as well. You were um, trying to make, yes. Yeah, you couldn't you either. No, so I'm just popping, I just thought I'd pop round. <laughs> yeah, quite well. <laughs> Several hours later. He's like burnt tea. Um, but it was it was brilliant. Thanks, thanks for joining us on the show. It's one of those which, you know, we could and should do a second uh, follow-up to this. So after your next series of challenges, oh, you didn't tell us what it was. Are you going to sell us? I can, I can, I can tensely tell you. I'm putting things together at the moment. So the plan is, the plan is, it's not an event, it's two events I'm trying to put together. So the plan is to run 14 marathons in 16 days. Just as you do, I know. In the, in the summer holidays. Um, not just that. Seven of them in the Western Hemisphere and then seven in the Eastern oh Hemisphere. Oh, my Lord. So logistics is getting a flight sorted. So the, the plan is to run across Costa Rica, coast to coast, Pacific to the Caribbean, through the jungles again, so that's seven marathons through the jungles of Costa Rica, and flying back to Manchester, landing on the 17th of August, flying on the 18th of August, so I'll have about 12 hours at home, to Tajikistan, which I didn't know much about, so it's now Afghanistan, mm. Pakistan, China, I'm running seven marathons through Tajikistan on the Silk Road, oh, wow. um, so mm. two different climates, very hot, humid in the Western Hemisphere, very dry and hot in the Eastern, two time zones, so my head will be mashed up, and the body will be mashed up. Um, oh, so 40 marathons, 16 days, that's the plan. So 
Costa Rica sorted, flights sorted for that. I've just got to sort the Tajikistan leg out because it's, as I said, I'm sort of putting this challenge together myself. It's exciting. It's out there. It's beyond anything I've done before. And that's what excites me. And trying to make that happen. And that will be the pretty much my summer holiday sorted. I, I get back from Tajikistan on the 31st of August and I'm in school on the following Monday. August and I'm in school on the following Monday. You'd be praying, praying for an inset day. <laughs> <laughs> But then, and then they'll be saying the first question will be, "What's this year, sir?" We're like, "All right, we'll have a couple of days and we'll, we'll get going." So I'd love to talk to you about that and the logistics of putting that together. So fingers crossed, watch this space. That'll be this summer's epic uh, challenge, um, mentally and physically. So bonkers. I'm smiling and yes, bonkers. <laughs> and it's quite exciting. So watch this space. Yeah, I love that. Brilliant. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully, we'll get you back on after after you've done you. Crazy challenge. Uh, Phil, do you want to talk us out the show? That's what Dave would normally say. But I think if Dave heard that, he'd be going, holy shit, in his usual. Holy shit. He be, he so be. What's wrong with this man? What the? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he won't do, won't he? As ever, if you enjoyed the show, give us a like, give us a share, give us a comment. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. Any ideas for future uh, uh, podcasts and, and future guests hello at talkingcod.com bosh because he'd say the bosh he'd say the bosh bit at the end of it <laughs>